Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through your word, teach us, lead us, uplift us, convict us. Bring us into ever greater faith in Christ Jesus. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith is a word that we use all of the time in church, and you even hear it out of church too. You hear such phrases as, you just got to have faith. But really, what is faith? And where does it come from? And how big does it have to be? You know, we've got the little mustard seeds. I mean, how big does your faith have to be? Now, we take a look at Scripture. We take a look at heroes of faith. So there's Moses, there's Joshua, there's David, and more. And if you want, just read Hebrews chapter 11. But when I read that, I often think, I, I'm not that. I, I, I can't live up into such great faith. And quite frankly, there are times in my life that I wrestle with my faith. And there are times I know that people, through certain difficult times, people so struggle with their faith that they might even think their faith is dead, that it's left them. I mean, these are all real things that we struggle with, that we think about regarding this one word, faith. So I thought it would be very good for us to have a series on faith. And the series is called, by faith, three little words, but they mean so much. Each of those words means so much. And today, today the first part is, call, is called by God. And so we're going to actually deal with a, a story of faith, one that is often overlooked, one that's just used for a children's sermon or a children's song. It is Zacchaeus, right? You may know the children's song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior came that way, he looked up at the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Right? It's this cute little song. It's upbeat. I mean, and we don't put much weight on it, right? There's no giving sight to the blind. There's no healing the lame. There's no raising Lazarus from the dead. It's about this short little man and Jesus who climbs up in the tree and Jesus says, hey, let's go to your house and have dinner, right? That's kind of the story. That's how it gets played out. But I don't know if you know this. It wasn't meant for children. Although children can easily grasp this story, this account was not meant for children. As a matter of fact, it was meant for adults. So there is a message in here. The message is this, that God calls the unlikely sinners by name and creates a new heart. This is our message for the day. God calls the unlikely sinners. So let's begin with our text. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So you're probably familiar with Jericho of the Old Testament, right? They went around Jericho and the walls fell down. I don't know if you're as familiar with the Jericho of the New Testament because it actually was rebuilt. So the old Jericho was about 15 miles, and I want to get this right, uh, northeast of Jerusalem, 15 miles northeast. But Herod rebuilt Jericho about a mile south of that. And this city of Jericho was a wonderful city. It was a prosperous city. It had a copious freshwater spring. Remember in the desert, freshwater springs, very important. And it was called the Spring of Elijah. They also had wonderful palm trees and balsam branches, firs. And they were so valuable. Remember Anthony, Antony and Cleopatra? That whole story about Antony and Cleopatra? Antony actually gave them to Cleopatra as a source of revenue. And it was a strategically placed city. It was at the ford of the Jordan River. Uh, uh, a ford in the Jordan River. And it was also very near many of the trade routes that went to the west. This made it for a very prosperous, a very well-to-do money. There was a lot of money in Jericho. And anytime there's a lot of money in Jericho, the government wants their share. Right? Taxes. And so we find out that Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So not only did he skim, he had other people be under him who were corrupt, and they would skim and they would have to pay him. Okay? So, how many of you like tax collectors? They didn't back then either. We have kind of the same attitude. Let me tell you about a story. Story about a guy who owned a fitness center. Very, very strong man. And he had a standing bet for $1,000 to anyone who could demonstrate that they were stronger than this guy. And here's how it went. He would take a lemon, the owner, the strong man, and he would squeeze the lemon so that there was not one drop left. And if anybody could squeeze that lemon and even get one drop, they would get $1,000. And so a lot of people tried, weightlifters, lumberjacks, I mean, just the whole thing, right? But one day, a skinny little guy comes in, and he says, I'll take up that bet. And of course, after the laughter died down, the, the owner took the lemon, squeezed every single drop out of it. Then this little skinny guy, Rolls up his sleeves, takes it, and the crowd gasps because there's not one. There are six drops that come out of that lemon. Everybody's just astonished. And, and the guy says, he, he paid him the $1,000. He said, what do you do? I mean, are you a weightlifter, a MMA? I, what, what do you do? And the guy says, I work for the IRS.
just as there has been and probably is corruption in the IRS, in those days, it was rampant. And Zacchaeus was one of the people squeezing every last drop he could get. And what else do we know about Zacchaeus? He was short. So the average height of men was about 5'4" during that time. So ladies, if you're above 5'4", you're like, well, I'm tall now. <laughs> but 5'4", uh, so he probably would have been well under 5 feet tall. So why am I spending so much time on the background of Zacchaeus? Because normally, from that first picture with the children's story, we think of him as this nice, little, short, jolly guy. You know? If I were going to cast Zacchaeus in a role, it would probably be more like this. Danny DeVito in Taxi. Do you remember him? Louis? He was the most greedy, devious, deceitful person around. In fact, most people would say that Louis was beyond hope, right? That not even God could change Louis. This is a better picture of Zacchaeus. But the truth is, in this story, we find that God calls the unlikely and no one, no one is outside the power of God's redemption. That the fact that you're even sitting here today shows that you are not outside the power of God's redemption. And there are people in your life who may have a hard heart, may have said no to faith, who have given up, and you might have given up on them as well. But no one is beyond God's power of redemption. And that's good news, right? That's good news. No one's beyond the power of God's mercy and grace. And when God calls you, you are compelled to seek Him out. It says this, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Him for he was about to pass that way. You have to know, one, that running was not dignified for a man of Zacchaeus and his position. And that he climbed up a tree certainly was not dignified. Why was it a sycamore tree? Well, it was probably a sycamore fig tree. And he, on screen, there's an example of that. They generally have much lower branches, trunks, so you can climb up into them. Why did he climb the tree? Well, we're not sure exactly why. I mean, he wanted to see Jesus. But it seems from the language that he was compelled. He was compelled to seek out Jesus. And this is actually how people come to faith. You see, God's call is compelling. God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, draws people to His Son. And His call to you is compelling. And when you hear God's call, when the Holy Spirit stirs your soul, you want to find out more. And that is the joy when I meet people and you can see that the Holy Spirit has been stirring their soul. Drawing them 
to Christ Jesus. Now, I know there's a lot of people who have hardness of heart. They reject the call. They feel that they have no need of God. And they think they're going to live forever or they have enough money or whatever the case. But there comes a point, there comes a point in many people's lives where they stop and think, you know, I I think there's more to this man named Jesus than meets the eye. I think he's something more. And I think I better find out who he is. That's the call of Christ. That's the call of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit to Christ Jesus. And He calls you by name. He called Zacchaeus by name. It says this, And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. The force of, so he, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. The force of Jesus' words is easily lost on us. I mean, we normally see this as kind of an invite. Hey, Zach, what you doing this afternoon? Come on down, let's eat. But that's not what he's doing at all here. He didn't say, hey, you in a tree. He actually calls Zacchaeus by name. Was he introduced to Zacchaeus before? Had anybody mentioned Zacchaeus' name before? We have no evidence of that. See, Jesus already knows your name. He knew your name before you were born. This is what God said to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were consecrated, and before you were born, I consecrated you. God knows you and calls you by name. He says hurry too. Why hurry? We have to remember the context of this is that Jesus is going into Jerusalem. And that's Holy Week. And Good Friday is going to be approaching very quickly. So there's an urgency that Jesus has in seeking out. And it's really interesting. This is the last personal account of Jesus really interacting with someone before Jerusalem, and really before Good Friday. So there's an urgency. But he also says, hurry to you and to your loved ones, because we often think, well, (laughs) not anymore. Most of us our age know we don't have forever to live. But most people, when they think about their faith, they think, well, I've got time. I've got time to come to Jesus. And the truth is, we don't know when our last breath will be. None of us. So he says, hurry. And there's an urgency. And I have to tell you, the older I get, the more of an urgency I have in telling people about Jesus, about sharing the gospel, about just saying, come and see. Come and see. So he says, hurry. And then he says, I must Zacchaeus hurried down for, I must stay at your home. Why must Jesus stay at his home? I mean, it's actually very simple. Jesus answers that later on. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
Jesus actively seeks out the lost. A lot of people think that Jesus just waits for you to come to him. Like he's sitting around, kind of like, well, hope they come to me today. But he doesn't do that, right? His whole ministry, he never had a home in his ministry. He never had a bed that he called just his own. He was always going out and actively seeking the lost because that is his ministry. And there are a lot of people in church today say, well, you know what? Let's just invite people to the church. Like, 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 but not just invite. Let's just have a church. And if they happen to wander in, woohoo! But where did we get that notion? I mean, we are to also actively seek others. Come and see. And, and you never know. You never know. Last Sunday, uh, I was at Bash's. And I had pulled in and I was going to get some stuff uh, to make dinner. And I was not dressed pastorally. I, I had a Hawaiian type shirt on. Woo! Yeah. yeah, I know. I like to live it up every once in a while. I had shorts on, you know. But um, as I was pulling in, this, this woman just looked at the car and she seemed a little friendly. And remember, I have the magnetic stickers on. And I didn't even say, hi, how are you, any of that. I just said, uh, do, do, do you have a church in town? And she said, no. I said, are you interested? And she said, well, yeah, i actually been thinking about it. And I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church. Yeah, I'm not dressed this way. And, and she was like, yeah, fine. But um, real, this is human interaction, right? And so I gave her a card. I said, come and see, check us out. Right? So planting seeds. And by the way, sometimes those seeds don't take root right away. Sometimes it takes a while for them to grow. So this whole come and see is simply be, we are modeling what Jesus did. He went out to seek the lost. So Zacchaeus. Because he heard his Savior calling him, because there was an invitation to dine with Jesus, which was also an invitation to know who Jesus is, Zacchaeus hurries down and he's joyful. You see, at that moment, something happened in Zacchaeus. His heart was moved because he had been called by the Savior. Now, okay, put yourself in the crowd. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Jesus invites himself to go eat at Zacchaeus' home. How would you react? Would you cheer? The crowd didn't. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You have no idea how scandalous this was for Jesus to eat in the house of Zacchaeus with Zacchaeus present. You see, in the minds of people, tax collectors were associated with murderers, with adulterers, with robbers, with the sinners of the greatest sinners. Tax collectors couldn't attend synagogue. They couldn't have social relationships. They were outcasts of outcasts. And if you came in contact with one of those outcasts, you would be considered ceremoniously unclean. 
Let me put it in today's situation. What if Jesus called out a transgender pride festival organizer and said, I want to eat in your house today? That would cause scandal in much of the churches, in much of the crowd. Jesus, how could you do that? Don't you know how much a sinner they are? But Jesus calls the unlikely sinners and He calls them by name. You see, Jesus said, I have come not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, here's a question for you. When Jesus went and ate with Zacchaeus, was he affirming and condoning the sin of Zacchaeus? He wasn't, was he? Jesus doesn't come to people and just affirm whatever sin they're in, whatever that may be. He doesn't say, oh, nice sin you've got going there. Good for you. He says he calls them to repentance, doesn't he? But he did go and he met with them. And there was salvation in that home that day. See, one pastor put it this way. It would have been the first time any righteous, clean, noble, respected person had come to Zacchaeus' house. And here's the Lord, like that father, throwing his arms around a stinking prodigal son, kissing him all over the head, and reconciling him and embracing him. This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And in Zacchaeus, a new heart was created. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So it seems that the scene has now switched to dinner time. And they would have been sitting on pillows and so forth, weren't chairs, so very low table, they would have been on the floor. So when he stands up, he would have been above everyone. But he's moved. He's actually moved. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. To give half the poor is generous. And to restore fourfold goes above and beyond what the Old Testament dictated. You see, what Jesus, what, what's happening here with Zacchaeus, he is making amends in the fullest way, the fullest measure possible. So I have another question for you. Did Zacchaeus do all of that to gain the favor of Jesus? Did he try to do that to win favor? To say, hey, Jesus, look how good I'm being right now. Did he do that? He didn't, did he? There was something very, very different of what happened here. Because Zacchaeus' actions followed from a changed heart. You see, 
When you come to saving faith, your faith does not sit still. It moves you to action. For someone to say, yes, I am saved by Jesus, and there is no indication in their life how they live, that it's different than any other way of the world, you want to say, do you know Jesus? Have you truly been saved? Well, I I give some money to the church. No, look, saving faith moves one beyond mere observance of the law or customs. There's a generosity that builds up, not because I'm trying to win favor, because I can't, right? But because of how good God is. Because of how good Jesus is. Zacchaeus' heart was changed, and thus what he hoarded and held as precious was no longer precious to him. His life in Christ was most precious to him. If you only get one thing out of this, this is it. Zacchaeus' heart was changed, and thus what he hoarded and held as precious was no longer precious to him. His life in Christ was most precious to him. I had an interesting experience recently. One of my high school friends was in town with his wife. We were best friends in high school. I was best man at his wedding. We drifted apart. Uh, I, you know, we're on Facebook a little bit, but we hadn't talked in probably 10, 15 years at least. And he was in Scottsdale, and I was so surprised. He said, hey, do you want to have breakfast? And so we did, and it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Uh, and he asked me, are you happy? And I said, it's not about happiness. It's about following Jesus and the gospel. And being a pastor is one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's also one of the most joyful things I've ever done. But it's not about happiness. And I realized that moment that I'm not following our declaration of independence that we have as a country. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I realized I am no longer pursuing Happiness, I am pursuing God. I'm pursuing Christ. And what is most precious to me is Jesus. So when you die to self, you die to the pursuit of your own happiness. It's not that I don't want to be grumpy, right? But I don't I don't pursue that. I cherish Christ more than my own happiness. Can you understand the depth of what happened to Zacchaeus now? There was a true change in him. As a matter of fact, there was salvation that day. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Today, not sometime in the future, not sometime, Zacchaeus, if you somehow work hard enough to be good enough. But today 
has been the day of salvation because you have placed your faith in me. That salvation is that you are, you are delivered. You are free from bondage to sin, to death. You are freed and brought into full relationship with God. You are no longer an outcast, Zacchaeus. You are mine. Today, salvation has come, and you are now a child of God. Because he was now, he trusted Jesus. Because he was now a true son of God, and God had made him a true son by faith in Jesus. This is the story of Zacchaeus. It is so rich, it is powerful. So now we always, we talk about hearing the word and applying the word. Not only letting that seed be planted, but having it grow in you. And it grows by applying it. If you have heard the call, if you have heard God call your name this very day, answer his call. Now, you may have already heard his call. And for that, rejoice. Rejoice in that Jesus had called you an unlikely sinner. Today, let today be a day of salvation. For those who are worshiping with us online, let today be a day of salvation. And rejoice that God has called you to salvation. And then this, every single one of us, Pray for those whom you would normally not pray for. Those who are all also unlikely sinners. Today is a day of salvation. Let us rejoice and be glad. Amen.